traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Hey there, this is your mad prophet of the airwaves, and welcome once again to Radio Free Canada. News, notes, and opinions from the underground for Wednesday, October 12th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. First order of business, horrible news. Last night, two South Simcoe police officers gunned down while responding to a domestic disturbance at a home in Innisfil. 33-year-old Constable Devin Northrup and 54-year-old Constable Morgan Russell exchanged fire with a man after, uh, after responding to a call around 8 p.m. The man shot by the officers died at the scene. The two police constables transported to hospital where they died. And according to witnesses, this is being reported in the Toronto Sun, an elderly couple lived in the home where the deadly shootout took place. And the couple's grandson, the couple's grandson was waiting behind a door and ambushed the officers with a rifle. That brings a total to four police officers killed in and around the GTA in uh, recent weeks. 
We had uh, <clears throat> Toronto Police Constable Andrew Hong executed by a gunman while on duty at a Tim Hortons in Mississauga back on September 12th, one month ago. And uh, the shooter, Sean Petrie, 40, of course, left two others dead and two wounded in his uh, rampage. Two days later, off-duty York Regional Police Constable Travis Gillespie killed in a head-on collision while on his way to work. Four dead. The uh, new Premier of Alberta, Danielle Smith, not apologizing for saying the unvaccinated are the most discriminated group in her lifetime, nor should she apologize. But she did offer a clarification which in my mind was totally unnecessary and really demonstrates weakness to the mob, which you must never do. So today the premier said she did not intend to trivialize the discrimination faced by minority communities and other persecuted groups or to create any false equivalencies to the terrible historical discrimination and persecution suffered by so many minority groups over the last decade and centuries. She says her intention was to underline the mistreatment of unvaccinated Canadians and how they were punished by not being able to work, travel, or in some cases, see loved ones. She should not have attempted to provide clarification. That is, essentially apologizing. I mean, she's absolutely correct in stating the unvaccinated are the most discriminated group in her lifetime. In her lifetime. This is an important qualifier. The premier is a relatively young person. Now, if she were born in the 1940s or the 1930s, then it would be an entirely different story, of course, because of the Holocaust. But again, Smith said in her lifetime, the community that faced the most restrictions on their freedoms in the last year were those that made a choice not to be vaccinated, she said. And let's not forget who are among the unvaccinated. People of color. Indigenous people, recent immigrants to Canada, people of different faiths who refused the vaccination on religious grounds. And the unvaccinated were fired from their jobs. Told they couldn't collect employment insurance. Forbidden from traveling by air and rail. Prevented from saying goodbye to dying loved ones in hospitals. Forbidden from attending university classes, even online. Alberta Premier Daniel Smith is exactly right in that statement. She should never apologize, and she shouldn't have offered any clarification. You know what? She needs to listen to this program. Had she been listening yesterday, she would have heard me play this clip from conservative broadcaster filmmaker Matt Walsh, who offers a clinic on how to deal with the woke mob. Let's have a listen again. So here's my official answer for the record. Um, kiss my ass. I do not apologize. In fact, by all rights, you sick freaks should be the ones apologizing to me for lying and defaming me and doing it all because I'm trying to prevent you from sexually mutilating children. You damned monsters. You child abusing psychopaths. I wouldn't apologize to you soulless parasites if I had a gun to my head. There you go. Well, the context is entirely different, of course, but that's how you deal with the woke mob. That's how you do it. Meanwhile, 
Premier Smith says vaccination, particularly for COVID-19, needs to be thought about differently. It needs to be looked at in the same way that doctors look at influenza immunization. She said vaccination really is for self-protection in the case in this case because you have to make your own choice about your own medical status in conjunction with your own doctor and your own pre-existing medical conditions. And we have to stop trying to victimize a particular group because they make a different choice. One of the items on Smith's to-do list is to amend the Human Rights Act in Alberta to protect the rights of unvaccinated Albertans. Amen. Now, I played this clip yesterday. The admission by a director at at Pfizer before the European Parliament, it's absolutely staggering. And yet not one mainstream media outlet in this country, to the best of my knowledge, reported on this. I'm going to play it again because it's that important. And uh, tomorrow, Kelly Brown, the unofficial and accidental COVID data analyst from Rubicon Capital will be here to discuss. But let's have a listen one more time. If you don't get vaccinated, you're antisocial. This is what the Dutch Prime Minister and Health Minister told us. You don't get vaccinated just for yourself, but also for others. You do it for all of society. That's what I said. Today, this turned out to be complete nonsense. In a COVID hearing in the European Parliament, one of the Pfizer directors just admitted to me, at the time of introduction, the vaccine had never been tested on stopping the transmission of the virus. This removes the entire legal basis for the COVID passport. The COVID passport that led to massive institutional discrimination as people lost access to essential parts of society. I find this to be shocking, even criminal. Please watch the video until the end. And I will speak in English so there are no misunderstandings. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. This is scandalous. Millions of people worldwide felt forced to get vaccinated because of the myth that you do it for others. Now this turned out to be a cheap lie. This should be exposed. Please share this video. That was uh, Janine Small, Pfizer's president of international developed markets, again testifying before the European Parliament on Monday. And she was asked the question by Dutch MEP Rob Roos, who we just heard from. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. And if yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And then Ms. Small, appearing in the place of Pfizer Chief Executive Albert Bourla, who had been called to testify but pulled out of the hearing earlier this month, replied the company had to, quote, move with the speed of science. The speed of science? What the hell does that mean? How can this go unreported when we now know officially that the entire justification for denying fundamental rights and freedoms to 6 million Canadians was based on a lie? And yet, complete silence. Silence. I'm going to play this clip tomorrow again, and maybe for the rest of the week. And I'm starting to get the feeling that 
Albert Bourla over at Pfizer could announce tomorrow that the COVID vaccine wasn't tested at all, that the science underpinning the mRNA vaccine is a complete fraud, and the mainstream media and our politicians would remain completely silent. Am I wrong? I don't think so. All right, here's what we have on tap for you today. Our uh, Maple Leafs beginning their 2022-2023 season tonight against the Habs and Jacob and I will uh, swap some notes and make some predictions. Last order of business in hour two. Jay Goldberg from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation will drop by to offer his thoughts on the Trudeau government's online censorship bill, Bill C-11. U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis is in our feature interview slot today. He's just published a new book, Kings of the East, China's Plan to Eliminate America and Impose a Communist World Order. That's also hour two. This hour, the cult of climate change with Tony Heller will discuss whether the climate agenda being rammed down our throats by the loony left constitutes a crime against humanity. I believe it does. That's just one of the uh, topics we'll discuss. Tony Heller, founder at RealClimateScience.com. Tomorrow, the Public Order Emergency Commission begins. This is the inquiry into the federal government's use of emergency powers to end the convoy protest last winter. 65 witnesses will be called, including one-fifth of the federal cabinet, Ottawa Mayor Jim, uh, Jim Watson, the Crime Minister Trudeau. Wyatt Claypool from the National Telegraph is next to discuss. The Richard Serrett Show, often running for Wednesday, October 12th. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Starting tomorrow, 65 witnesses are set to testify at an inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. Wyatt Claypool, senior contributor with the National Telegraph. Hey, how are you, Wyatt? Not doing too bad. Looking forward to the inquiry to start, regardless of how stacked they're trying to make it. Well, you, you wrote an interesting piece at the National Telegraph uh, because, uh, as you as you state in the article, uh, you know, Trudeau and the liberals have just uh, sort of slipped past scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal unscathed. But this time you think it's going to be different. Explain. Yeah, and I even wrote this in an article that will happen right after the Freedom Convoy. I was saying that, yes, a lot of people are just going to say that the Trudeau is just going to survive this. He survived so many scandals. How is this one going to be any different with the Emergencies Act? And why I said that it was going to be different and why I'm still saying it's going to be different in this recent article is that he's personalized the scandal. It's not that he might have done something with SNC-Lavalin uh, based on some scandal that happened in Libya or inside his cabinet. He kicked out Jody Wilson Raybould, or he was kind of working with the WEF, sorry, not WEF, the WE brothers, uh, the WE charity brothers, uh, in a way that was uh, untoward. But this one is actually about, you know, him running over your grandmother with a horse. This, is, this isn't just some sort of silly financial scandal that has so much complexity to it that most people just like, I don't care anymore. Just, just get it over with. I'm going to vote how I was always, always going to vote. This one is much more personal. And I think that you're going to see both Trudeau and some of his other cabinet ministers like Christy Freeland really show the contempt that they have for normal Canadians. Right. And as you point out in your article at the nationaltelegraph.com, the others, the other scandals were kind of complicated and, and Trudeau could feign ignorance. Like 
well, you know, this was going on over at this department, but I didn't know about it. And they didn't, you know, they, I wasn't informed. Well, that's why he was, that's why he was able to throw Bill Morneau yeah. under the bus for the We Charity scandal. Cause it was like, why? Well, uh, well, I, I knew my family members were working with the We, but I wasn't sure how involved the government was getting, uh, with We for our sort of our like summer camp programs and whatnot. I was unaware. And then he's able to dump someone off. Whereas like you're, he, he has to be the person, just legally speaking, who invoked the Emergencies Act. So he can't just say, oh, well, someone dropped some paperwork off at my desk and I signed off an emergency act. I didn't know about it. Like, he clearly knew about it because it was the biggest political issue in the world for a good three weeks there. And he was talking about it constantly. And that's to a certain extent why, even though the, it's a retired Supreme Court judge that's managing this whole inquiry, that he's kind of seemingly doing the liberal sort of favor by stacking with tons of bureaucrats and liberal party kind of functionaries to sort of show up and maybe try and throw themselves under the bus for Trudeau or try and smear the frame convoy. But at the end of the day, I think that Trudeau's still going to have to be the one that everyone's going to focus on and say, okay, well, where's the goods for why you did this? And he's not going to have any. I think you're going to see that sort of toxic part of his personality come out when he's trying to sort of uh, dismiss all this stuff. as not being serious. Right. 65 witnesses will be heard during the factual stage of this inquiry, which begins tomorrow. This will include protest participants. So Tamara Leach will take the stand. Uh, um, um, Tom Marazzo, uh, B.J. Dichter, uh, other members of the protest will be there. We'll have Catherine McKenney, the outgoing city of Ottawa councillor. Jim Watson, outgoing mayor of Ottawa. One fifth of the cabinet. Uh, including the, uh, the the prime minister himself, and of course uh, uh, the former Ottawa police chief Peter Slowly. Um, uh, who else am I missing? Um, uh, oh, you have Al Gabra in there and stuff. Yes, yes. So uh, we'll we'll take a quick time out, uh, Wyatt. When we come back, I'll ask you uh, your thoughts on sort of you know what testimony you're most anxious to hear about, and and what's going to be the takeaway here because. Uh, the, the justice uh, who's running the inquiry, Paul Rouleau, former Ontario Superior Court judge. Uh, I mean, there's no there's no criminal consequences. Prosecution. He doesn't have you know, there's no prosecution that's going to come out as a result. He can make suggestions as to maybe how they can amend the Emergency Act going forward and what were the lessons learned. Uh, but what's going to be the the, uh, the takeaway in your estimation? We'll get to that on the other side. Wyatt Claypool, senior contributor with the National Telegraph, stays with us. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show right after these. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's The Richard Serrett Show. And we're discussing the inquiry into the uh, use of the Emergency Act kicking off tomorrow. 65 witnesses, including the uh, prime minister, one fifth of the federal cabinet, many of the high profile uh, convoy organizers will be uh, asked to testify. The outgoing mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson. Wyatt Claypool is we, is here from the National Telegraph, the nationaltelegraph.com. Uh, so, again, uh, the. Um, Inquiries being led by uh, Paul Rouleau, former Ontario Superior Court uh, Justice. Um, he's not he's not going to be able to, you know, prosecute anyone. Basically, it's about lessons learned and the appropriateness of invoking the uh, the Emergencies Act. If for whatever reason, and I don't know much about this guy, who knows? Maybe he's a liberal, uh, a longtime liberal hack, and he actually comes out and, and at the end of all of this says the 
the Emergency Act was invoked in an appropriate manner. Uh, perhaps next time, you know, we they could do a little better. But in other words, if the liberals happen to get off, is this going to blow up in Polyev's face and the conservatives? And will will then Trudeau immediately, you know, launch into an election with with uh, knowing that that basically he got the uh, I guess the the approval from from the justice in this inquiry? Is that a possible? I don't really see. Yeah, I don't see this actually possibly reflecting badly on the conservatives. And you can kind of tell that the liberals are sufficiently worried about it, which is why they kind of just stacked the entire inquiry with a lot of people that we kind of don't really need to hear from. Like, of course, we need to hear from Jim Watson, Pierre Soli, and some of the uh, Trudeau's cabinet. But there's a lot of people when you start reviewing the list of more uh, of liberal people who are speaking. It's just a lot of people, in my opinion, that are just there to slow it down, try and make the inquiry boring and take eyes off of it. That's why they also didn't seem to let in a lot of freedom convoy people. It seems like the the, the retired justice overseeing this case. And again, I'm not I'm not saying he's a liberal hack as much as I'd probably say that he knows that if this thing's to move forward, it's not going to be like held up and whatnot. Uh, he should kind of appoint up uh, like bring people in that the liberals kind of want brought in. At the same time, I, I think that the the sort of blockbuster testimony in this one is probably mostly going to be coming from, of course, Justin Trudeau himself. Peter slowly, because of course I, I guarantee he has a lot of hangups about how Justin Trudeau and Jim Watson, uh, Jim Watson went about sort of dealing with the protest in Ottawa, as well as I think, and maybe I'm biased here because I'm friendly with him. I think Benjamin Dichter is going to have really good testimony because I know that he was speaking to many of the liberals in caucus, sort of the backbench liberals who are incredibly uh, disappointed with how Justin Trudeau had been dealing with all of COVID past 2021 and wanted him actually out at the time. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Right. Um, yeah, it's, I think what's going to be interesting is if, for example, this secret memo that CSIS sent to the cabinet uh, in which they said, and this was in early February, that the whole business with that swastika was completely overblown and the federal cabinet had access to that letter from CSIS very early on and yet they, they chose to make, you know, tr- Tremendous hay, political hay out of that swastika uh, and smearing, you know, all freedom convoy participants and supporters, uh, you know, as basically standing with the swastika, the swastika. Um, Also, the other key point, I think, is the um, uh, the fact that the RCMP and Brenda Lucky, of course, the commissioner will be testifying. The RCMP, the Ottawa police, uh, I believe the Niagara police are none of them asked for the Emergency Act to be invoked, despite, you know, Marco Mendocino repeating that lie 12 times. Uh, I think those two points 
uh, are going to be very damaging to the liberals. What say you? Yeah, I think the thing that, the, especially because the great thing about this inquiry is there actually is going to be the uh, the ability for people to cross-examine, for people's lawyers to cross-examine certain people who are testifying and saying what had happened and answering questions. And I think, especially for Justin Trudeau, what they should really press him on is kind of the more social aspect of this scandal, not who did what on what date, but more so the based on the information you had, what gave you the right? to smear these people as extremists and radicals, especially knowing back then and knowing today that there is essentially the singular Confederate flag and the singular swastika and that you you tried to smear all these people. Like, is this legitimately what you think about people who just don't like you and don't agree with your program? Because I guarantee that that's what's going to probably agitate Justin Trudeau the most because he doesn't like ever being confronted with his behavior, his personal behavior. Like he can kind of, when it comes to bureaucratic scandals, what did you see on what day? He can kind of, you know, play it cool for that sort of stuff. Whenever you've seen Justin Trudeau get really mad, it's when you actually kind of go at the heart of that. He's a very empty and kind of intolerant person personally, because he puts on this act and whenever someone go, goes at him for it, that's when he's uncomfortable. That's when he walks off stage at events, when, pe- when indigenous people question him and veterans question him. Right. So uh, worst case scenario for the liberals, how damaging will this be? Could it be? I think it, I think it just cements their, their polling slump right now. I, I, I don't see them winning an election. I think that the conservatives would probably win a majority, even though a lot of the polls say it would be a conservative minority, generally this far away from an election or when an election is a little bit of a question mark when it's going to happen. When the conservatives are this far ahead, if an election happens, I guarantee you they're going to catch some momentum. When you see the polling on Justin Trudeau's approval rating and Jagmeet Singh's approval rating, it's extremely lackluster. 66% of liberal voters think that Justin Trudeau is going to be the best on the economy compared to Pierre Polyev which is an incredibly low figure considering how important that issue is. And it's your own base saying that only two thirds of liberals think that he's good on the economy. Right, right. Excellent point. Wyatt Claypool, senior contributor with the National Telegraph, thenationaltelegraph.com. Wyatt, thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. The Cult of Climate Change. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com is next. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. The Cult of Climate Change on The Richard Serrett Show. All right. Welcome back. Tony Heller is the founder of Real Climate Change. Sorry, Real Climate Science. RealClimateScience.com. RealClimateScience.com. He joins us, joins us every Wednesday at this time as we push back against the death cult of climate change. Hey, Tony, how are you? I'm good, Richard. How about you? Very well. Very well, my friend. Uh, first order of business. Uh, a new study in Europe claiming that climate change caused temperatures to soar this past summer, creating soil conditions that made drought at least 20 times more likely in the northern hemisphere. This is a new study. Again, climate change caused temperatures to soar during this past summer, creating soil conditions, making drought at least 20 times more likely in the northern hemisphere. What say you? Well, it's just the usual um game where they just make statistics up they take a weather event like heat wave and drought in europe 
make up fake statistics on it and blame it on carbon dioxide and burning of fossil fuels, which had nothing to do with any of it. All right. So when you look at the uh, um, the, the heat that they that was experienced in uh, in Europe this past year and or this past summer, um, I mean, how do you what, what, what data would you say uh, offer up to suggest that this is not unusual? Well, if you go back 100 years in 1921, there was a heat wave and drought um, across Eastern Europe and Russia and Asia, um, which had millions of people on the verge of starvation. Um, and that heat wave of 1920 and 1921 had the second highest average temperature in the United States after 1934. Um, there was a heat wave almost the entire year in the United States. Um, in 1911, um, during the summer of 1911, 40,000 people died from the heat and just in Paris. Um, and in New England had their worst heat wave in 1911. That was the hottest July 4th in the United States. There was a terrible heat wave and drought across much of the world in the late 1890s and also in the late 1870s, um, each of which killed tens of millions of people. The worst heat wave and drought in, in Europe occurred in the year 1540. And if you go back in 1123, the Rhine and many other rivers in Europe dried up. These are cyclical events which have nothing to do with carbon dioxide or the burning of fossil fuels. Just um, they happen once in a while. And when they happen, immediately the climate alarmists say, we predicted this. Um, we predicted it. And it's because of the burning of fossil fuels and we're 100% certain. But in fact, they're literally just making things up. They're just ambulance chasers, snake oil salesmen saying, you've, you've got a disease and we've got a solution for it. Right. There's the, according to this study, there, the analysis, they say, um, claims that 2022, the summer of 2022, one of the hottest ever recorded in Europe. You're saying that's categorically false. Well, when they say one of the hottest ever recorded, what does that mean? I mean, how long? If you go and look at NOAA's um, temperature record base for Europe, they have very little daily temperature data, data prior to the year 1950. So, you know, this history of Europe goes back thousands of years, and we have historical records of droughts and floods and heat waves um, from newspapers and other written records, which go back 1,500 years. And no, there's no reason to believe that this was the worst ever. Probably the worst ever occurred in the year 1540, when carbon dioxide levels were very low and nobody was using fossil fuels. So, Tony, we'll take a, a quick time out. When we come back, I want to ask you whether the current climate agenda being pushed by the loony left constitutes a crime against humanity. This was a, a case being made or is being made by the CO2 coalition. We'll get your take on that when we come back. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 a.m. Wednesdays, we push back against the cult of climate change. Tony Heller is the founder of RealClimateScience.com. RealClimateScience.com. Check it out. Great great articles, great videos. And um, uh, Tony, 
Edward Ring is a senior fellow at the Center for American Greatness, and he wrote this piece. It's called The Globalist Climate Agenda is a Crime Against Humanity. He writes, it is more than a misguided but well-intentioned mistake. It is a brazen lie promulgated by some of the most dangerous people who have ever lived. Your thoughts. Is it a crime against humanity? Well, yeah, of course it is. And there's. The agenda has been to shut down a reliable supply of energy, which billions of people around the world depend on for their day-to-day survival, including the globalists. Um, And and what we're seeing as a result of their agenda, we're seeing energy shortages. We're seeing extremely high energy prices, which are throwing hundreds of millions of people into fuel poverty around the world. And, and it's a direct result of decisions made about energy um, based on this this climate superstition. So absolutely, it's a climb against humanity. Millions of people are suffering, tens of millions of people, maybe billions of people are going to be suffering this winter as a result of this agenda. You know, what's uh, most frightening to me, perhaps, uh, Tony, and that is uh, that the... Um the the loony left, I'll call them, they have only sort of slowed down the production of fossil fuel. Uh, in other words, they have only barely scratched the surface of their agenda and look what it, what it has uh, wrought. In other words, um, I don't know, maybe 5% of their agenda has been, you know, enacted uh, because they want to end all of uh, fossil fuels by... 20, I guess, zero emission by, was it 2050? So they've only accomplished a little bit and look at the damage they've done already. Imagine what it'll be like uh, in 25 years when, if they're successful, there are there are no fossil fuels. I mean, it'll be cataclysmic. It'll be a massive depopulation. Well, well then throughout history, the way that um, technological transformations have occurred somebody develops a better technology and then people switch over to it like a good example of that was the switch from incandescent light bulbs to led light bulbs and led light bulbs are superior in a lot of ways they they use less energy they last a lot longer um they produce less waste heat so they're there so it's good technology and what but at one time though they tried forcing a switch from incandescent bulbs to um to, to other kinds of bulbs, which weren't good, which weren't good technologies. And those and those sort of forced switches failed. But eventually we came around to a better technology with LEDs and pe- most people switched over voluntarily. But they're, they're, they're trying to force this completely unnatural transition from reliable, predictable fossil fuels to inherently unreliable wind and solar which no serious scientist or engineer believes is possible at the current time because we don't have the ability to smooth out. um, There's long periods of time when the sun's not shining and long periods of time when the wind's not blowing. And our society, we can't shut down our operating rooms and our computers and our banks and our schools and everything else because the wind's not blowing. And we don't have the technology for storing um, the energy in, during those periods of time. So there's no serious scientist actually believes that this can be done at the current time. Yet we have politicians forcing, trying to force this technology, which is not going to work. 
Do you think this winter, when, uh, God forfend, and of course we hope this doesn't happen, but God forfend, maybe, I don't know what the number is, but people are going to freeze to death in Europe this winter. I have no doubt about that. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what the number is. One is too many, but it could be hundreds. It could be thousands. It could be, I don't know, tens of thousands. Uh, is this going to be the wake-up call finally, do you think, for people around the world to abandon this lunacy of you know, pursuing wind and solar at the expense of everything else? No, because the press just won't report on it. They'll, they'll do the same thing. They'll just cover it up like they do with everything else. You may have tens of thousands of people freezing to death in Europe, and the press will just pretend it isn't happening. Um, so it, it's very, it's very, until it starts affecting voters, you know, the majority of voters, until people have, have to deal with it day to day, see freezing people out on the streets or freezing themselves then maybe at that point it'll start happening. But, but the, the fact that there's bad things going, we've seen this over and over again over the last decade or so. The fact that there's really bad things going on doesn't mean that most people are aware of it because the press just won't talk about anything which goes against their agenda. Alex Epstein is a, a terrific uh, writer, researcher, the author of Fossil Future, why global human flourishing requires more oil, coal, and natural gas, not less. Again, making the argument, we need more fossil fuels, not less. Your thoughts? Well, right now we have this large supply of available fossil fuels, which are very predictable. We know exactly how, we know exactly how to use it. We know how to keep our civilization running using them. And we've been doing it for decades and decades, running off of fossil fuels. So they, they're what keeps us going. So until there's some other technology available, which which can meet those needs and and is also useful and, and people want to switch, there's no reason to be trying to force a transition. So, yeah, for the for the indefinite future, fossil fuels are the sensible thing to be doing. And the only reason we're not doing it is because of this completely fake superstition about fossil fuels causing bad weather, which has been propagated by politicians in the press and some people in academia over the past few decades. We're doing politicians are engaged in incredibly stupid activities and Europe's starting to feel you know, the issues California has seen and obviously Canada it is with your very high fuel prices and it's all completely unnecessary. It's just based on superstition. Tony, uh, the uh, latest video, what are you working on? Uh, but we were just down, we just spent a few days down in New Mexico on vacation. And so I, what I was doing was I'm working on a, filming a couple of completely fake news stories. One was about this claim that the Rio Grande had, River had dried up in New Mexico. So I just I released a video this morning showing lots of water in the Rio Grande and um, how absurd that claim was. And now I'm working on one about his claims that there was a big forest fire near my hometown of Los Alamos, New Mexico, 10 years ago, and another one 20 years ago. And there was a ridiculous story in the New Mexico political report about how the whole area was now a desert wasteland and the 
pine trees were never going to grow back. It's actually the most beautiful I've ever seen. We were down there filming. It's all full of aspens and oaks and, and locust trees. The colors are incredible. It's They've had a, one of their wettest summers on record. It's extremely green and beautiful there. So I'm just making a video mocking the, the ridiculous misinformation being passed by the press once again. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Check it out. Tony, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Hour two awaits. U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis will be here to talk about how China is out to eliminate America. That and much more awaits. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. Welcome to Hour 2 of The Richard Serrett Show. Check out the website, therichardserrettshow.com, therichardserrettshow.com. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but don't despair. Still plenty of great programming coming of your way this hour. Last order of business. My good man, Jacob Goldback, the technical producer of this program and also co-host of The Swing heard here on Saga 960 AM uh, starting at a new time, Mondays at 7, starting next Monday. He'll be here. We'll talk, uh, well, the Leafs and the Habs renewing their rivalry tonight at the Bell Center in Montreal, 7 o'clock. This should be uh, fun. This should be fun. So you've got uh, Montreal starting four rookies on the blue line against arguably the most potent offense in the NHL or one of the most potent offenses. I mean, the Leafs What do they average, about 36 shots on net per game? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. 
This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Uh, should be a, it should be a shooting gallery, I think, tonight. Anyway, we'll um, we'll get into that a little bit later. And uh, Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, will be here. We'll talk more about um, Justin Trudeau's online censorship bill, Bill C-11. And uh, Jay arguing it, it will be a blow to Canadian content creators. Never mind the censorship aspect of it. I mean, it's being sold as uh, Bill C-11 as a boon uh, to Canadian content creators. But uh, Jay says, no, he's not having any of that. It's going to uh, it, it's going to be a blow to Canadian content creators. All right. Uh, in his new book. U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis writes that China is out to eliminate America and the Western world and impose their communist culture on the entire planet. How do we know, he asks? Their history, their economic power, their coming military superiority, backed by their rigid focus on instituting a one-world government under the Communist Chinese Party. A plan, he says, which is coming together now and is being exposed to the world. The question is, is there time to reverse their maniacal advance against freedom and democracy? The new book is Kings of the East, China's Plan to Eliminate America and Impose a Communist World Order. Bob, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the uh, publication of the uh, of the new book, Kings of the East. Where do we get a copy? Well, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, any place that books are sold, it's available. Everyone seems to be focused on Russia and Ukraine. Um, why uh, Why write this book now? Why do you, I mean, do you see China as a greater threat to the world, the existing world order than Russia? Well, you know, certainly the relationship between China and Russia should give everyone pause. But the, the fact is the Chinese have the largest military in the world, uh, which will probably exceed the capability of U.S. military within the decade. They have arguably the largest economy. Ideologically, uh, they're just about ready at the 20th Congress to uh, crown you know, President Xi, uh, the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party for Life. Uh, and of course, his track record and his ambitions are truly uh, existential in terms of a threat against the United States. Um, he is, of course, 69 years old right now. His mother, who is still alive at 96, there's a good chance that he could be around uh, another decade or more, much like Mao Zedong was, who, of course, claimed the lives of 100 million Chinese and uh, promulgated a Marxist-Leninist view. And that's exactly where President Xi, who is all-powerful now and soon to be even more so, uh, is trying to push not only the Chinese people, the 1.4 billion of them, but he has great expectations and global reach uh, to do that to the world. So I don't think it's hyperbole uh, to indicate that, yes, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, which has 95 million people, is pushing for exactly that world domination. And the evidence is overwhelming. So in the book, you, you identify nine moves that Beijing is using to reset the world economically. So let's just leave the military aside for a moment. Let's talk economics. 
and and talk about some of the we won't get to all of them, but some of the moves Beijing is using to reset the world economically. Well, clearly, it wants the RMB to be the reserve currency for the world, and that's their currency right now. And they're making every move that they can. Uh, they are clearly uh, trying to corner the market on a variety of uh, substances that are critical to the new world, and that is all these rare earth metals. And they have, you know, eighty-five, arguably ninety percent dominance in that field right now. And therefore, you know, when they make uh, iPhones or they make uh, you know, lithium batteries or they make uh, other high tech, you know, materials, they have a dominance there. Uh, you know, s- clearly, you know, th- they have their issues. They have economic issues as well. A, a shrinking population of workforce, uh, an aging population that they aren't prepared to take care of. Uh, and what they can't manufacture or they can't invent through, you know, incentives that would you know, really cause, I suppose, technology to come to their rescue, uh, they're going to steal. And they've been doing uh, extraordinarily well against the West for many, many years. And, you know, to a large degree, the West is is not awake to that reality. But uh, Xi has a future, has a future vision as to where he wants to take this world. Uh, and he has a, a short-term vision as to how he's going to make his Marxist economy spin like a top. So there are a host of things that he's doing. I, I outline them in an entire chapter. Um, and, you know, I, I have little doubt, given what he's already done and what he's continuing to do even today and with his new investment of power, uh, he'll be able to accelerate in the future. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired. The new book is Kings of the East, China's Plan to Eliminate America and Impose a Communist World Order. You also profile some ideological instruments that China will use or is using to capture humanity. Uh, Talk to me about one of those. Well, he's a Marxist, and of course, he promotes nationalism, which is very helpful because he's a historian as well. And, and so his ideological uh, agenda uh, you know, within China is, is clear, not only you know, the politics, which is Leninist and it's making his economics as Marxist and, of course, his foreign policy, policy is nationalist. You know, now, when you consider those, you, you begin to appreciate that ideologically he you know, tries to control his populations through a surveillance state, which you know, recently in the last year, he promoted what he called a global security initiative, which allows him to go in t- into with his national security strategy to remake uh, the institutions of the country so that he has a better control over the people through education, through observation and surveillance, through law enforcement and a host of other issues. Uh, and of course, he has aspirations, which he's personally stated, uh, to control the world's Internet. Now, most of the servers of the Internet, of course, are not in China, but uh, with the help of Huawei and other entities that he has great control through the you know, communist party, uh, he wants to gain that. And right now, of course, he uses what we call and others have called elite capture. Uh, and that is, you know, the, the big uh, money people 
in the West, uh, the politicians in the West, uh, and clearly others uh, that he controls through a variety of leverage mechanisms. And then, of course, he takes control of entire countries like Sri Lanka or Ghana and others through his Belt and Road Initiative, which, of course, is the initiative that he kind of garnered from uh, Wang Wuying, who is referred to as Xi's brain or the Kissinger of China, who is really a big government guy, a totalitarian. And he has promoted all of these new concepts uh, to help Xi not only solidify his control, uh, but to solidify his influence across the world. And so today we see Chinese footprints in a major way all around the 54 countries of Africa, all around South America, Central America, uh, inroads, significant inroads in Europe, uh, and of course throughout uh, the entire Indo-Pacific. So I don't think there's anyone that hasn't watched what Chi is doing since 2013 when he became the chairman uh, that would say anything other than yes, He's expanding China's influence globally uh, through these mechanisms and many others. All right, uh, Bob, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss uh, China's plan for world domination. Kings of the East. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis stays with us. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, the new book is Kings of the East, China's Plan to Eliminate America and Impose a Communist World Order. Uh, Bob, in order to be like a, a a big player on the international stage, we militarily, we keep hearing about, you know, you have to have a deep, uh, a deep blue sea. You have to have a deep blue navy. Uh, what is exactly meant by a deep blue navy? And does China have it? Well, they have an excess of 400 um vessels and not counting their Coast Guard, which is a blue water capable uh, unit. Uh, Yes, they do have a worldwide capability. They're just about to launch their third aircraft carrier. They have uh, a submarine fleet larger than the United States. Um, They uh, are all over the world exercising in the North Atlantic, uh, in the Bering Strait, all over the Pacific. Uh, You know, they're in the Arctic regions, uh, along with the Russians. So they've expanded over the last two decades in a phenomenal way. If you look, as I have, at every annual report of the Pentagon to Congress on the Chinese military, it's been a phenomenal uh, leap forward over the last 20 years, to a large degree be at our expense because they take advantage of our technology. They have the third largest air force, the largest Navy in the world, the largest standing ground force. Uh, there's little question about their air defense capabilities, the S-400s, S-300s, which they get from the Russians, and they're beginning to make their own. Uh, they're going into outer space in a major way. They intend to you know, dominate uh, the return to the moon uh, with a colony up there, in fact. Uh, and then they're going to, according to their own publications, uh, they would like to claim uh, sovereignty over the moon like they have the South China Sea. I know that's, um, to some people, that's laughable, but don't count the Chinese out. They're very serious. Their military is in your face. Uh, it's now a a 
mechanism of foreign policy to recognize that they're selling weapons all over the world, not quite as much as we are in the United States, uh, but they're training all sorts of international students and in their police forces, of course, given their global security initiative, they're beginning to have a major influence. They even have, uh, interestingly, police forces that are uh, outside of that country trying to rein in dissident uh, Chinese nationals who are being, uh, I suppose, condescending or critical of the regime. So, uh, the reach of their security forces, their dominance inside their country, uh, this is not a laughable matter. This is very serious. But are their troops battle ready? They haven't really had a war uh, since, I guess, they, they had kind of a border conflict with the Vietnam back in 1979. Over 40 years ago, Bob, are there, I mean, are there, are there soldiers, their foot soldiers battle ready? Yeah, that is a fair question. And of course, I know that is a issue that concerns the Chinese uh, senior leadership. Uh, and therefore, you know, they're doing everything they can. Uh, they're standing up, you know, training centers, much like the U.S. does. They are trying to make sure that technology uh, is favoring them through uh, hypersonics, through artificial intelligence, through cyborgs, uh, through robots, uh, uh, above above the ground, below the sea, and in space. So they're taking advantage of all that. Now, whether or not they can train their individual soldiers to be hardened uh, as countries like the United States have gone through years and years of combat, uh, mostly counterinsurgency, which is different than conventional warfare like we're seeing in Ukraine, uh, that's to be determined. Uh, It will be an initial uh, I, th- I suppose, cold water in their face, but they will learn and they'll learn quickly. And, and clearly, I, I believe that they're, they're preparing themselves in the near future, not only to take Taiwan, if necessary, by force, but to, to reach out well beyond that, uh, given the, the strategic lift they have put in place, given their relationships abroad, uh, they're beginning to really demonstrate you know, something we haven't seen uh, since World War II. And of course, the Shanghai Cooperative Organization, which is where Putin and Xi met here recently, uh, is really becoming an alternative like NATO uh, of the world, but it involves all the authoritarian leaders. And, and they're coalescing around some central ideas of really totalitarian leadership and influence. And given what China is doing economically, what it's doing geopolitically and ideologically, this is not something that can be easily dismissed. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, stays with us uh, one more uh, segment. We'll take a quick timeout, come back and continue to discuss communist China's agenda. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. A few minutes remain with U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel retired Bob McGinnis and uh, his brand new book, Kings of the East, China's Plan to Eliminate America and Impose a Communist World Order, available at Amazon and wherever good books are sold. Um, so what uh, what are you recommending that the U.S. and its Western partners uh, do if they're going to sideline, if we are going to sideline uh, communist China's uh, new world order ambition? Well, Richard, if we understand that we're 
engaged in a war with China, and most people don't. Uh, it's what is often referred to as unrestricted warfare. That means anything goes. And uh, certainly the sources of national power that China uses routinely, its economic might by, you know, stealing and, and you know, manipulating the marketplaces and the like, uh, certainly the ideological moves that they're making, whether it's through Confucius Institutes or uh, through the academic arena there in China and elsewhere, certainly the military prowess that they're demonstrating around the world. And and we've discussed that in the last segment, geopolitically, uh, what they're doing to leverage the countries in which they make these outrageous loans for infrastructure and the Belt and Road Initiative uh, is really reshaping the world and so is their engagement in international organizations they control a third of the major committees in the un and they have probably the largest delegation of all country countries there and then of course technologically uh, president Xi's made it very clear and they're they're pumping billions and billions of dollars into technology they're fusing their civil and their military and their academic arena together so that they can advance to become the world's leading industrial nation. Uh, these are all things that President Xi is pushing aggressively and has been for a number of years. And given that he's likely to get a third term and chairmanship for life, will push more aggressively going forward. So, you know, they really we need to counter each of those. And I provide a formula in Kings of the East as to how we have to go very specifically after each of these tentacles of unrestricted warfare. But first, we have to recognize that based upon Chinese statements going back to Mao and to the president with President Xi, is that they do believe that they are at war with us. Their words are incendiary. Their words are very compelling about what they intend to do. They want a new world order. They want to rebalance the world. They don't like what we did after World War II and after the Cold War, making these international organizations, which in many cases exclude them. They want a world that is focused on the Middle Kingdom. The power would reside from them, and there would be Marxist-Leninist-type values that would promulgate across the world. That's why, you know, they, they didn't even show up, along with Putin and others, at the UN General Assembly here last month. Why? Uh, because they had, you know, assembled there in uh, Central Asia at the Shanghai uh, cooperative organization, all the key leaders, those out of Iran, North Korea, all the tyrants of the world came together and they're really focused along with the help of you know, the globalists and the WEF and the like to begin to. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. 
The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Coalesce around a future direction. And I outlined that in Kings of the East. I do believe that we can mitigate a lot of these things, but uh, liberal values opposed to what you know Chi and his cadre have in mind are radically different. And it's really a threat to the way of life that we've become accustomed to in the West. So many of our political leaders seem compromised and that they are looking to China almost as a, a model with whether it's the social credit system uh, or, you know, central planning of the economy. Um, I mean, how how concerned should we be about, let's say, let's call it what it is, the enemy within? Well, there is. I, I used the term elite capture earlier, and that's exactly what they've done. They have strategically over the decades compromised uh, people, uh, arguably from the White House in the United States to the academic arena, to the corporate arena, the Googles, the Microsofts of the world. Uh, Just look at the relationships. Look how they control Hollywood. And they insist, if you want access to our market, you must abide by our editors, our propagandists and what they say. It's a very comprehensive, long-term effort to really upset the apple cart of the West and to go in a very different direction. You know, just consider economically, you know, they've withdrawn most of their major corporations from the uh, American Stock Exchange. Why? Because we have rules in place that require accountability and that they have open books. They have no intention on party-run companies, and there are more and more of them in China today, uh, that are not about to open their books so that, you know, the public, much less the U.S. government, can look at them. So there is so much going on in this, you know, new world order uh, deliverance that the Chinese and the uh, their cadres have in mind that is frightening and it should wake up uh, the West. Otherwise, we're not going to be much of an opponent uh, in a decade or so. They have every ambition to take over the world. Kings of the East, China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order, Amazon or wherever good books are sold. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. All right. When we come back, Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation with a... um, A a special look at Bill C-11, which he says will be a blow to Canadian content creators. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. So much going on, and we've kind of lost sight of uh, an impending piece of legislation. Bill C-11 otherwise known as the online censorship bill. It was introduced by Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez. Uh, and again, we're focused on the uh, the censorship aspect of it. We're focused on privacy issues. But there's another aspect 
that actually has to do with the sort of the rationale for the bill uh, being introduced in the first place. And, uh, and according to um, Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez, the whole intent of Bill C-11 was to help support Canadian content creators. Influencers on uh, TikTok. Who's that um, TikTok uh, artist out in um, Saskatchewan? Tesher. A lot of uh, content creators, Canadian content creators on uh, YouTube. Viva Fry, our good friend, David Fry, Viva Fry. He's got well over half a million subscribers. So this was the way that Bill C-11 was sold to us as um, a support mechanism for Canadian content artists or creators. But uh, Jay Goldberg, Ontario director for the Canadian Taxpayer Federation, says, hold on, no, I know that's the rationale, but it doesn't even do that. And Jay joins us now. Hey, Jay, how are you? Doing well. Great to be with you. So, uh, again, we've been focused on the uh, the censorship aspect, uh, the, the privacy issues, um, why do you say it's not going to even do what its stated objective is, which is to, to help support online content creators? Well, definitely, there's a lot of concerns when you talk about censorship and accountability. But if you actually look down at it, uh, the Senate, unlike the House of Commons, has been doing a very full review of the legislation. And one of the people they uh, called forward at the committee was a representative for YouTube. And essentially what she explained was that 90% of the audience for Canadian content creators is outside of Canada. Now, if you look at what the federal government's trying to do, they're going to force Canadian content on Canadians, whether we're interested in that content or not. But YouTube explained if you're in Canada, people are clicking on that content less. And they're doing that because it's just stuff they're not interested in, but the government algorithms are pushing on them. YouTube takes that as a signal that this stuff isn't popular and it gets buried in feeds every other country around the world. So while your viewership might go up a tiny bit here in Canada, it's going to suffer everywhere else. And she said, yeah, 90% of viewership for Canadian content creators outside of our borders, they're not going to be exposed to Canadian content anymore because of these rules. So the government is actually hurting the very people they claim they want to help with this bill. I mentioned Tesher, and you also mentioned him in your article. This is the uh, Regina-born TikTok sensation. What does he say about Bill C-11? Well, he basically said, uh, I wouldn't be here. Uh, My career would not have taken off um, if this bill was in place, because he said essentially is putting his stuff online. But really, it was it was people in India and Pakistan and elsewhere who were really drawn to it, started watching it, promoting his stuff. And only then did he start to get popular back home in North America. And, you know, we hear of all kinds of stories. Justin Bieber discovered on YouTube, um, you know, so many other artists that really are discovered from people from places outside of Canada and then become sensations. And so you have to think about, well, wait a second, the government says they're creating this bill to help Canadian content creators. They're actually hurting those people. So if the rationale for the bill doesn't even hold water, then why in the world would, she, would we ever want to put our accountability, our these censorship possibilities, why would you ever put those on the table if the very reason they're claiming the bill needs to exist is actually counterintuitive. And so this bill, it should be ripped up in shreds 
if the government was actually being honest about what they're trying to accomplish through this bill. So um, in these Senate um, committee hearings on this bill, are the liberals paying attention? I mean, uh, you know, you mentioned this person from YouTube coming on and saying what you're trying to accomplish won't happen uh, as as the bill exists. Are the liberals paying attention? Well, I hope they're paying attention because these are the very people that should have testified when the bill was in the House of Commons. But the liberals helped with the NDP, shut down the committee, didn't have people testify nearly as many people as should have. Amendments were not even considered. People couldn't even read the amendments before they were voted on in the House of Commons. Now the Senate's taking a different approach. The chair of the committee is a conservative. There's a lot of independence on the committee. And so I think that even if the liberals don't want to hear what what organizations like YouTube and Google and others have to say, I think they have to think about the real possibility that the Senate is going to be voting on this. And so these independent senators, I mean, listen, a lot of them were appointed by Prime Minister Trudeau. They have some sort of ties. Usually uh, people appointed by a liberal prime minister often vote with the liberal prime minister. But there's actually senators who he's appointed who are very much on the fence, some of whom are against it. And they're watching and listening to this. And so if enough senators listen to this, hear the concerns, understand the fact that this bill is is bad from bottom to top. If enough of them see that, then there could be a chance that the liberals have to change the bill because they can't get it through the Senate. Well, let's hope. Let's hope and pray. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director and Interim Director for Atlantic Canada for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You can read the article at taxpayer.com, taxpayer.com. Jay, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. When we come back, some leaf talk with my man, Jacob Goldback, co-host of The Swing, right here on Saga 960, Mondays at 7. Stay tuned. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Oh, I am looking forward to uh, tonight's tilt between the uh, Buds and the Habs renewing their rivalry. Bell Centre, Montreal, 7 p.m. The Leafs kicking off their 2022-2023 season. And uh, I think it's going to be an absolute shooting gallery Jacob Goldback, my technical producer, also co-host of The Swing, moving to a new time starting Monday the 17th, Mondays at 7 p.m. Hey, Jacob, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Richard. You know, a Toronto team just let me down over this past weekend, so nothing like the Leafs coming back to, to probably let me down again. Right, so here we have one of the most potent offenses in the league Versus a, uh, a team defensively, well, they're going to have four rookies on the blue line. And, uh, I mean, the, the Habs always play the Leafs well, even, you know, when they don't have a lot of talent. But this is going to be really challenging for them tonight. I mean, the Leafs, they're, they're up near the lead league leaders in shots on net and shots attempted. And it's going to be a shooting gallery, don't you think? I mean, one would think the, the problem is with that is playing in the Bell Center is never an easy thing. It's you know it's going to be a raucous crowd, so it's not going to be easy for the Leafs to go into that atmosphere and play. The other thing is Montreal really after last season they are they're almost playing with house money this year. As you mentioned, four rookies on that decor, they have nothing to lose. All they have to gain by these playing in these games is experience. And I actually like a lot of the guys that they do have on the decor. Obviously, Caden Gooley. 
uh, first round pick in 2020, had a fantastic year in the WHL last year. And Arbor Jackye, a member of the Hamilton Bulldogs who went on to the Memorial Cup, uh, he had a fantastic year. I don't think it's as bad of a decor as maybe we would expect. Uh, but that being said, it definitely is a matchup that favors the Leafs on paper. But we have seen over the years that a lot of the time the Leafs play down to their opponent. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of rust today. You know, you never know what's going to happen, especially on opening night. All right. Tavares is back. Yes, he is. Yeah. Which is big. OK. Uh, what was this talk? Was this just an April, an early April Fool's joke talking about putting Mitch Marner on defense? Yeah, I, I, I think it had to be. I, I, I'm not exactly. I, I think I saw that floating around once or twice, and not much after that. But yeah, it's you know definitely a funny idea, especially a guy of his size. I, I just don't know how he would have made made that work. All right, uh, William Nylander uh, had a terrific uh, preseason. Also, was really lighting it up in the um, in the uh, international uh, leagues this off season. Do you think he could score forty this year? I mean, 40 is a big number. Uh, I, I think especially when you think about the uncertainty that is that line, right? Tavares came into this year. He's coming in not fully healthy. I mean, he's able to play opening night tonight, which is great, but he's probably not 100%. And that's uh, that right wing on that line is a question mark because Eddie Malgan. Yeah. right now they've got Malgan playing there. A lot of people thought it would be Nick Robertson, but uh, he got sent down after the preseason. He'll probably be back up to play on that spot at some point. So with that uncertainty, there's we don't really know. But on, on the other hand, we saw Nylander in the playoffs last year be able to carry a third line with Mikheyev and Pierre Engvall and have a really productive postseason. So I, I don't think 40's out of the question, but a lot has to go his way for him to get that mark. I think they would have to try and trade for someone to, to fill out that top six slot for him to be able to have a chance at 40. Interesting. All right. What do you make of Austin Matthews? Not, um, not wanting to sign an extension in the off season. Uh, do you think he's waiting to see how deep they go into the playoffs? And if it's another early exit, he'll make up his mind. You know, I'm bound for the, for the U S when my contract expires. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's really a factor. I just think that he's confident in himself that he'll able to, there's really no reason to believe he won't somehow improve on his game from last, even though you look at the numbers and you say, well, there's no way he's just such a good player. Who's gotten that much better every year. He's been in the NHL. He's almost got nothing to lose by banking in himself and trying to take another year and, and, and try and see if he can secure even more money from the team because he's really getting to this a point where he's going to be able to tell basically the team's going to be able to have to give him a blank check or else he is going to go elsewhere, which I think they will end up doing. Uh, yeah. He's got nothing to lose. I don't think by, by holding off on an extension. And well, I, I agree. I was just wondering whether he was sending a signal there, you know, to the Leafs, like let's see what we can do uh, in the playoffs. He wants to win a cup, obviously. And, you know, look at the tax situation here. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm nervous that that's maybe his motivation. He wants yeah. to wait and see what they're going to do in the playoffs. I, I mean, I, the, the thing is to like, if you win a cup with in Toronto, especially if you're Austin Matthews, who's going to be the leader of that team, you're going to be a hero forever. I don't think you can say the same about Arizona, which is obviously where he's from. A lot of people have linked him going there, which I think partially is a joke, but may bring him back to Canada. Maybe they'll go back to Quebec. Who knows at this? Yeah. Who who knows? I I just think that ultimately the opportunity for him to win a cup is going to be the best here. You know, say what you want. 
about the Leafs not being able to get past the first round. It is one of they are one of the best teams in the NHL, and I do think that there's just very good opportunity here. I don't think it's sending off a signal. I wouldn't overlook it. All right, fair enough. Let's take a quick look at the goaltending situation. Matt Murray tonight, and then Samson off uh, tomorrow against the Caps uh, at home. What do you? What is your overall impression of our goaltending duo? Uh, I like it. Uh, I think really Matt Murray. If you look at the numbers, a lot of people might disagree with me on this, but I think he's pretty comparable to Jack Campbell when he's on the ice. The key to him is is health. He has not been very healthy over the past few years. The other thing that he brings is that cup experience. Obviously, winning back to back with Pittsburgh in in 2016 and 2017. So. I think he'll be pretty stable as long as he's healthy. Samsonov is is the more athletic of the two and the more interesting of the two. Uh, what I heard from a lot of Caps fans is he'll make a big save here and like a huge save, like a highlight reel save, but then he'll allow a squeaker. So it's almost like there's a lack of focus sometimes with him, but the talent is, is, is evident there. So they've got two kind of different goaltenders. I think that bring different elements to the table. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the course of the year. All right. Quick prediction on a score tonight, Leafs versus Habs. I'm going to say, I think it's a bit lower scoring than you may think. I'll say the Leafs win three, two in a close game. All right. I'm going to say five to two. All right, good job, Jacob, again. The Swing, starting at a whole new time, Monday, starting Monday, 7 p.m. with uh, co-host Brandon DuPont, right? That is correct, yep. Good job. All right, Jacob, thank you. Thanks, Richard. That's it for me. Thanks to Jody Declan and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.